Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries. And I'm Eddie Quinones. And let's jump right into it. This was a pretty busy week. Uh, we had some crazy some crazy outcomes and some crazy, uh, some crazy things happen this far, this league. So uh, let's jump right into it. So this week, biggest upset. I'm going to let you take this one ahead there because uh, I think I kind of know who you're going to pick here. I think everyone knows who, who to pick here, but go ahead. You think? Oh, yeah. I, I, I think we'll see. We'll see. I picked Mike versus Jake. Is that who you thought I was going to pick? No. My honorable mention, but no. Okay. All right. So let me explain. I didn't know which way to go here. So I tried to make the less obvious choice with, I think, the obvious one, which is probably what you chose, is Lucas versus JC. Well, I chose Mike versus Jake because with his back against the wall and his season on the line, Mike was able to grind out a win on a you know, on the weekend defenses of Jake's roster. You know, Jake had Travis Kelsey out on by, uh, but he actually moved and injured Christian McCaffrey for what ended up being the guaranteed starter of the Seattle backfield in that deal. So Jake was kind of able to patch up his lineup a little bit, but nonetheless, it wasn't at full strength. Um, but even still, Jake still has, you know, that juggernaut quarterback duo of Justin Herbert and Aaron Rodgers who played this week. And yet Mike's team still found a way to win by putting up, you know, an okay week on his own standards. I think he scored just over 130. But he ended up taking advantage of bad games from AJ Brown, Michael Thomas, Jarek McKinnon, and newly acquired DJ Dallas, who ended up being the starter for Seattle's backfield this past week with Chris Carson being ruled out yet again. But DJ Dallas, you know, he'd been pretty good the past two weeks. So we kind of expected that if Chris Carson was going to be out again, that Jake would be able to get pretty good production from DJ Dallas. And yet he even put up a bad game himself. So I was, again, kind of torn on who to pick for biggest upset, but I had to go with my boy Mike, who kept his season alive and be, you know, a weekend lineup, like I said, from Jake, but a tough team nonetheless. My honorable mentions. Lucas versus JC, like I mentioned, and like you probably picked. And actually, I had another honorable mention. It was Nick versus Scott because I kind of expected Scott to run run away with that matchup while Nick ended up pulling off the win. What did you have for biggest upset? Yeah, so like I said, uh, that that matchup with Michael there was all one of my honorable mentions. I think one of the one of the matchups this week that was a little more mainstream that was was an upset. I think was that matchup between Lucas and JC. Now, don't get me wrong. Lucas does have a pretty solid team. I think his team just kind of has its off weeks and its on weeks. And usually his off weeks are very bad and his on weeks are really good. There's really no in between for him. Um, but JC's team absolutely crapped the bed this past week. I mean, his running backs combined for 18 points. Jared Goff only had him 10.4 points. And Keenan Allen had 12 points. You know, for Keenan Allen, it's not too bad. 12 points for a wide receiver isn't really horrible, but I think the main issue there was his running back pair only getting 18 points combined together. Um, when you look at Lucas's side, one of his running backs had that alone, and that was Ronald Jones at 24.8. You know, his other running back pair had 36 points combined, and Deontay Johnson had a great week at 23.6 points. Um, JC, I think coming into the week, 
I wouldn't necessarily say was a heavy favorite because the projections had him really close, but record wise, it's a big loss for JC because now it puts him in that in that pack right here in the middle, tied for third place between me, you, Damon, um, and himself. So it's a tough spot for him to be at. But I think if if he grinds out the rest of his schedule, he should make playoffs no problem. There really isn't a uh, an issue with that. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of my biggest upset this week. Um, and I'm going to transition right into our most shocking outcome this week. And I had actually picked uh, Nick versus Scott. Um, coming into the week, I think everyone expected Scott to win. Um, Nick's team was really hurting. They didn't look like they were going to pull anything off. And I think both teams had a, a kind of a, a tough week. And I don't think Nick, you know, I was doing the math. Nick would have lost a seven out of the other 10 teams that he could have played this past week in the league. He just happened to get that matchup. Um, and I mean, good for him. He, I mean, he got the win there, but to look at Scott's team, his team absolutely did horrible. His running backs combined had 4.8 points and his wide receiver two and both of his flexes combined only had 10.4 points. That's just a tough, tough week for Scott there. So that was my, my most shocking outcome this week. What did you have? I actually had the same, uh, and for, for my picks, I think this might be the most shocking outcome of the entire season so far, in my opinion. And the reason why I say that is for Scott's absolute monster lineup to not even put up 100 points, you, you couldn't have gotten me to bet on that if you gave me 500 to 1 odds that Scott's lineup wouldn't put up 100 points in any given week. Um, the only player to take care of business outside of his special teams unit, and when I say unit, I'm talking about his defense and his kicker, was Stefan Diggs. Everyone else had an absolutely dreadful week, as you shared, um, just highlighting a couple players in his lineup. Um, while I don't expect this to happen again in such an extreme fashion, it definitely showed that Scott's lineup is vulnerable and beatable. So... It's just like you said, Nick didn't have an amazing week himself, but it's still a great win for him as a first round buy for him is a virtual lock at this point for, you know, sitting at eight and two by himself with, you know, not being tied with anybody else. It gives him even more cushion to feel great about the trade that he made for Christian McCaffrey, you know, earlier in the week. Now that he has such a big cushion that he's likely going to make playoffs, even if he loses out at this point, we'll get more into that trade a little bit later, but I definitely wanted to mention that because that's a huge win for him coming out of this week. Yeah. And that's, and that's something I kind of was looking at, you know, when you threw out um, about a week ago, about five days ago, kind of those averages, if your team performs to their average capability of what they normally average, you know, you had Scott sitting at 191, which is well above anyone else in the league. Obviously that's Scott at his team at their best or at their averages. Um, mm. But to see him drop under 100 points with that lineup was extremely surprising. Extremely surprising. And I, I'm i sure things have moved. Things are always going to move when trades are made. But I know that Scott moved Darren Waller out of his lineup um, and brought in Rob Gronkowski. So that average, if I had to guess, um, I would guess that Darren Waller has more average points per game than Rob Gronkowski. So that might've fallen a little bit. And mm -hmm. certainly um, with the way that his team performed this past week, I bet most of his players average weekly outputs fell a little bit. So that would be, you know, that number I threw out there just to get a feel for 
you know, if, if everyone was fielding their best lineup, what would their average output be based on each player's average weekly output? That's going to change on a week to week basis just yeah. because of the nature of averages and, and players, if they don't score their average on the nose, their average is going to change. Yep. Um, but it also changes with trades, which Scott did move one of his starters in Darren Waller this week. So I'd be interested to see how that has changed since last week. I don't necessarily know that I'm going to go back through and calculate everybody. So maybe, yeah, I'll do, no. maybe I'll do that one more time toward the end of the regular season. But yeah. And I think one thing to look at there, not to not to talk too much about it, but I guess one good comparison to make right there, like I, I was just looking at it, Waller averages about 13.1 as to where Gronkowski averages nine points a game. I actually feel more comfortable on a week-to-week basis with that nine average than I really do with that 13 average with a tight end, I feel. Um, you know, it's all really going to depend, but I think Gronkowski kind of getting into that offense a little bit more and having Antonio Brown – I think it moves away some of the coverage from him. So I think he's going to get a little bit more of those touches. And we've seen it um, throughout the past few weeks. You know, Gronkowski's been doing pretty well on that offense. So, you know, you know, Waller's a tight end too as well. No, yeah, I know. That's what I was saying. Waller's a tight end there. But I just feel with the matchups and how Gronkowski's offense, like that offense looks compared to the, uh, to the Raiders, I feel like there's a lot more explosion that can be had per se for Gronkowski on that Bucks offense, just because of the weapons that they have, not so much attention is on him, but it also goes both ways there. I mean, they could be throwing a ball. You, you'd somebody. rather have Gronk than uh, Darren Waller at this point, at this point right now, I think for his team and for what he needs and with that trade that he made, I think it works out for him. And I think, it, I think it's a good trade for him. Um, I don't know we'll, if I, we'll, necessarily... ta- we'll talk about the trade, yeah. but I, I think it's interesting that you'd say, yeah, Without saying it, that you'd have Gronk over Waller. I disagree with that. But we'll we'll talk more about it shortly. Uh, Top three standings update. Not a whole lot has changed. Nick and Scott flipped. Nick regaining the number one seed, the fantasy football team, with an eight and two record. Scott dropping down to the number two seed, Helmet in the Bush, with a seven and three record. And JC, again, getting upset by Lucas and dropping to a six and four record with Damon, myself, and Eddie picking up wins to tie him at the 6-4 and four record. But the way that the tiebreakers work out right now, with Eddie having beaten me, Damon having, beat, having beaten Eddie, and so there's this kind of round-robin effect where the head-to-head matchups don't matter because one person has beaten another that's beaten another and so on and so forth, that because you can't evenly split a tie that way with head-to-head records, it then goes to points scored, which I have a slight edge over each of those three teams. So I, long story short, am in third place right now, uh, El Viaje Ados at a 6-4 and four record. But getting into the rest of the standings, we're going to do our standings deep dive part two, since we haven't done that in a few weeks. And we're going to start with Cinderella story. So I'm just going to go ahead and lead off. Um, I might have bent the rules here with, you know, you don't necessarily think of the one seed as the Cinderella story, but I got to give some props to my older brother, Nick, the fantasy football team at eight and two. So after suffering the loss of George Kittle, dealing with a complex Seattle backfield situation and seeing the value of his top draft pick, I'm talking about Ezekiel Elliott, take a sizable hit in the aftermath of the Dak Prescott injury and more. Nick has found a way to grind out a win week in and week out. And that's, 
you know, I think that's the appropriate word to use for my brother's management style and lifestyle in general is, is grind. We all know Nick's relentless, relentless, relentlessness when it comes to trades, um, especially with negotiations can be a pain to deal with, but you can't deny how well it works when you look at the results. I mean, he's a, he's the number one seed so far this season and he was our league champion last year. Um, and I think that's a good point for me to kind of make this public service announcement to everybody in the league who's listening. Um, I'm sure you're aware of this, but Nick is a grinder. If there's one thing I can share in confidence about my brother, it's that whatever he's passionate about, he will kind of run at it full speed as if he's trying to knock down a brick wall, so to speak. And I'm sure that you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've had a trade negotiation with Nick, so for everyone listening, the next time that Nick doesn't take no for an answer from you, you know, you could still say no. I'm not trying to tell you bend to his ways, but try to empathize and see where he's coming from because he's just a guy that loves fantasy football and obviously his strategy is working well for him. So had to give some shine to my brother as the Cinderella story pick, the number one seed after dealing with a headache, um, Seattle backfield, George Kittle inj- injury, Dak Prescott going down. He's he's dealt with a lot and bounced back from a lot this season and still is the number one seed. What did you have for your pick for Cinderella story, Eddie? I think I'm going to kind of kind of run with what my original pick on the first one is. Um, and I do have an honorable mention, but here I, I, th- I still think it's Scott, you know, coming into the league this first year and being able to show consistently that he can sit up at the top, um, you know, and bang with the best of us. Um, you know, I think, it, I think it's really good. You know, he's consistently gone through, you know, he's made some trades recently, which I'll talk about, which I don't know if work in his favor so much as others. Um, you know, but as of right now, you know, he continues to be the biggest Cinderella story for me. Um, and I think for me, the honorable mention is your team. I think on my, in the first time that we did this, I had you as my most surprising seed. Um, you know, you were sitting at a losing record at the time and it really wasn't looking good. Uh, but you went out and you made those trades, you made those moves and you kind of worked your way back up and, you know, you're tied for third place right now, leading third place. Um, but yeah, I gotta give I gotta give both of you props. You know, you've both come out this year and kind of proven that you know those top three, top four spots are consistently gonna be yours and you're gonna work to keep those top four spots. So I gotta give you those props. Appreciate it. Yeah. Pause. Is there a ringing going on in the background? No, I don't hear anything. I hear some kind of like ringing or like distant siren or something maybe it's just my headset might be like my fridge like it's on but it's not like very loud but like you can kind of hear it it's 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 i bet nobody would notice unless they were like listening on a headset yeah it's not that big of a deal all right we can continue great so most surprising seed um just to kind of move forward here i have as sean uh, who, you know, like you picking Scott as your Cinderella story, both times that we've done this segment, Sean has shown up here for the second time in a row as my most surprising seed. Um, and this time it's, it's actually for different reasons. You know, Sean's Mad Hatter Matadors, they're five and five. If you remember last time I made this pick, it was because I was pleasantly surprised with the way that Sean's team came out of the gate strong, despite dealing with so many unexpected buys early in the season. You know, after a good start, 
I only expected Sean's results to get better having seemingly dealt with a lot of bi-week adversity due to the Titans' COVID outbreak that affected their week four matchup with the Steelers. Um, But instead, Sean's team has actually struggled to find consistency, seeming to kind of flip between a win and a loss each week, which his 500 record highlights. Um, And I'm by no means counting Sean out, even though his team has been trending downward lately. But I I think that he would benefit by looking to see what he can add to or subtract from his roster via trade, like he started to do this past week with the James Conner trade. Who do you have for your most surprising seed, Eddie? For me, I, th- I have Lucas here. Um, I was expecting a little bit better from him. Um, you know, he started off two and two, um, so it wasn't anything crazy. But where his team was sitting at, sitting at I thought, you know, he, he possibly could have had a chance to kind of work his way up and and make some moves and he he suffered some some big losses from week five to week nine losing every single one of those matchups for him and it completely killed his season um you know he doesn't have a bad team and you know if you go over his team it's a pretty solid team but like i said before i think his his team relies on a lot of boom games um and a lot of bus games. And I think it just goes back and forth. And I think he, he just kind of got caught in certain situations where his team just wasn't performing. I mean, when his team's doing the best that they can do, I think it's, it's one of the, the top teams in the league, but his team just isn't built to consistently push out those numbers. Um, so it, it's kind of surprising to me that he's sitting at three and seven. Um, and unfortunately, you know, he's leaving after this year. So we won't really, we won't really be able to give him a Cinderella story next year if he were to were to bounce back. But to me, that's kind of my surprising seed right there. Sure. And I don't disagree with that pick. Um, you'd also kind of make that same argument for biggest disappointment, but I, you know, nonetheless, even though I could see that argument for either category, most surprising or biggest disappointment, I actually chose them for neither because my biggest disappointment so far in the season is Jake's team, Rick Flair drip at four and six. Um, you know, reason being, I feel like every week I'm looking at Jake's roster and expecting that that team of his is going to develop into a monster, but he keeps dropping matchups like every other week. It seems he basically just can't get on a roll of consistency. And it has led to him being on the verge of elimination here in week 11, needing to pretty much win every single game from here on out in order to grab a playoff spot. Uh, You know, I know that Jake is a strong fantasy player. He's actually, I would call him one of the most well-rounded fantasy players I know, in fact. So if there's anyone who can dig themselves out of such a seemingly impossible hole, I trust that he would be the one to do it. Uh, But he is going to have to really prove that he can do just that starting this week in a tough matchup with Nick, who's our number one seed. Who do you have as your biggest disappointment, Eddie? I will say this. I had Jake as kind of my honorable mention, um, you know, and kind of going off of the things that you just said, um, you know, I think he's a, he's a good fantasy player and I think he's well-rounded. I think, you know, he's made the moves later in the season to put him, his team in a winning position, hopefully to kind of push for those playoffs. But I think easily, and this is going to stay the same as the first one that I did is, is Kyron's team. Um, Towards the end of the season, he had a chance. He had some players that he could have moved to try to put his team in, in a better position, and he really didn't do too much till it was too late. Um, 
you know, he made some trades with people and he's, he did, he did a couple things, but it was just poor timing on his end. And he just didn't take the initiative once early losing early to actually turn his team around. You know, there was a couple teams started off early losing like yourself, myself, um, you know, we lost early and we were in positions where we kind of needed to win now because we had losing records. Um, and we kind of took that initiative and turned our teams around. And I think for him, that's just a really big disappointment for me for not being able to see him actually take that initiative and try to turn his team around. Um, he kind of just accepted what was going to happen and, and let it roll and continue to donate money to the winner at that point. So that's why I have as my biggest disappointment. Sure. Well, with that, you know, wrapping up that standings deep dive, let's look ahead to week 11 and get into our weekly matchup preview, starting with best matchup. What did you have for this week, Eddie? So this week, uh, you mentioned this a little earlier, but I have Jake versus Nick. Uh, Jake's actually considered a two and a half point favorite. Uh, I think that changed a little bit since I looked at it earlier. Yeah, it's a 2.7 point favorite now. Obviously, projected scores don't really mean anything, but just kind of looking at it just to give everyone a uh, a kind of a reference point, it's going to be a really good matchup. Um, and I'm actually really excited for this matchup to see kind of how it plays out because obviously Jake needs to win this to stay alive um, and Nick needs to win this to stay in first place. Um, so I think it's it's a really interesting matchup. I actually really, really like the the QB matchup this week for them. Um, with Nick having Cam Newton and Patrick Mahomes and Jake having Justin Herbert and Aaron Rodgers. Um, I'm just, I'm really excited for this matchup this week. And I think, I think for me, this is the best matchup by far. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I didn't actually, I wasn't able to work in too much analysis about that matchup in this segment. So I'm glad that you were able to cover it. My best matchup was, I tried not to, pick myself if possible but there were so many good ones to choose from that i just actually truly thought this was the best it's me versus damon yeah uh this week you know both of us are six and four so you got two six and four teams fighting for that third seed duking it out uh to see who can coast safely into the playoffs and who's gonna have to kind of sweat their way in Damon is going to be without his best player in Josh Allen, but still has a strong lineup this week that includes Calvin Ridley, Matt Ryan, Adam Thielen, Hayden Hurst, and Justin Jefferson. Um, and on my side, I'll be at full strength, so I'm cautiously optimistic about my chances this weekend. But I fully expect that just like any other Sunday, I'm going to be holding my breath as I watch this matchup unfold for my team. So that is what I had for best matchup. Yeah, I can't argue with that at all. I think that's a pretty good matchup. Um, for you guys this week, so yeah. Yeah, worst matchup, on the other hand, I have JC versus Kyron. Uh, I know JC is coming off of a loss, you know, to Lucas specifically, who's one of our bottom three teams in the league, but I think that this is probably the biggest matchup, mismatch in, in our, you know, in the league this week. I think JC is going to pick up the win and get back on track to being a solidified top four seed as we inch closer to the playoffs. And I know that we kind of pick on Kyron's team just about every week in some segment or another, but it's kind of hard not to pick him when he can't even make any major adjustments at this point to his lineup based on his team being locked. But again, the reason why we kind of put that control in place is to make sure that a top team in the league isn't trading a team that's already eliminated because at that point things get too gray um, and you don't want 
you don't want people to think that somebody at the bottom is feeding somebody at the top. Uh, nobody wants that. The people in the trade, as well as the people that are observing the trade, nobody wants that. So we felt that the best way to control that is to just kind of lock them from trading. So kind of does give a soft schedule to people that play those teams at the end of the year. But at the same time, I kind of think it's just a necessary adjustment that we've incorporated into the league just to, you know, get into a little bit more of the reason why we lock teams that are eliminated. But to wrap up my, my, my worst matchup pick, my honorable mention was Sean versus Keegan for most of the same reasons. What do you got, Eddie? Um, I actually had both as my nat- my first pick and my honorable mention. Um, I don't think there's really too much to say right there. I just think both of those teams and both of those sides of those matchups are trending in completely opposite directions. Um, and it's just, it, it doesn't look good for, for Keegan or Connor in this upcoming week. You know, they're facing two strong teams. So that's right. pretty much what I had. Well, then I'll let you lead us off with your most important matchup. All right. My most important matchup. And I did a little bit of digging here and looking around. Um, I think it was completely obvious to me looking right at it, but I kind of wanted to dive a, dive a little bit more deeper and kind of show everyone why I think this is such an important matchup this week. Um, I have your matchup against Damon's. You're both tied right now. You know, there's a four-way tie currently sitting at third place. Whoever loses this drops out of that tie. They also have a chance of being actually dropped out of the playoffs as of right now, um, depending on who it is. I haven't really took too much of a deep dive. I wasn't able to look at who's played Sean and who hasn't. But if Sean wins this week, he moves up to six and uh, six and five, and which one of whichever one of you two loses drops down to six and five. And that's like right at that six, seven area. Um, so I think this right here, it's for me, it's easily kind of that biggest matchup. Again, it cleans up that four-way tie for third place right there. Um, you know, barring that helmet in the bush actually wins his matchup this upcoming week, if he were to lose and that would create a whole different tie. And that's not something we're worried about right now, <laughs> but yeah, it sure. cleans up this current four-way tie. Um, it pushes someone possibly out of playoffs as of right now, depending on matchups and everything. Um, yeah, I personally... I'll, inter- I'll interject and say that if Damon lost, he would get bumped out of the top six seeds. If I lost, I would remain the number six seed based on my win over Sean last over week. Over Sean, okay. So if Damon loses, he would get bumped from the current top yeah. six. Um, if Sean were to also simultaneously win his matchup. Yeah, that is. yeah. Um, and, you know, that's a lot of ifs, but to me, that's kind of what makes this matchup so important. It's kind of thinking of those ifs. Uh, to me personally, I think this is probably the biggest head-to-head matchup so far this year. Um, just because of the possible outcome of pushing Damon out or pushing you down to still technically in playoffs, but at that sixth seed, having to play a higher-seeded team um, who might have a stronger lineup along those lines, you know. And then obviously everything is going to play out a little different because I have a couple tough matchups coming up. So everything can kind of shake up. But as of right now, coming into this week, I think this is kind of the biggest matchup of the year. Yeah. And you laid out a lot of good reasoning for that. I actually have Mike versus you this week as my most important matchup. And like his matchup with Scott that I highlighted a few weeks ago, Um, this matchup involving Mike has a lot of implications, not only for his team, but for the league at large. So Mike, obviously we know at this point is fighting to keep his playoff hopes alive as a loss would eliminate him from contention and lock his team. Um, but then on the other side of the deal, 
you are fighting to keep your big win streak alive and climb into the top three of the standings. So if Mike were to win, this is going to complicate the fight for that five and six seed of the playoffs pretty heavily as it would bring you to six and five, which would presumably be tied with Sean if he picks up the win over Keegan, as well as the loser of my matchup with Damon. So there would be a three-way tie at six and five if Mike were able to pick up a win over you. So I'm going to be watching this matchup closely this weekend because it's either going to result in one more team getting eliminated from playoffs and their team being locked from trading, or it's going to kind of create a pretty messy situation at that five, six, seven spot. Because again, we're kind of all expecting Sean to get a win over Keegan. And then obviously there's going to be a natural loser of me and Damon that drops to six and five. And so if you were to lose, that would be three, six and five teams just sitting in the middle. And that would be an uncomfortable spot to be in. Yeah. And one thing I actually want to point out here is that I've beat Sean. Damon has beat me and Damon has lost to Sean. So I don't know how ESPN is going to seed this out, but it's going to be five, six and seven. It would go to points four, total points scored at that point. Um, but even looking at that, even for this upcoming week, and I guess it'll decide it kind of after your matchup with Damon, and it'll really kind of set this apart because then all four of all four of whoever's tied would have played each other. Um, but yeah, it'll be really interesting. I should be sitting at the number five seed if I were to lose, um, and I right. put up my appropriate points. You know, I should still be sitting in the playoffs, but there's right. still, there's a chance my team could completely drop a dud and kind of push me out. But we'll see. Yeah, and for most of the same reasons i have jake versus nick as an honorable mention for most important matchup because jake is himself facing elimination this week with his matchup versus nick um but obviously as you can tell us talking through this matchup preview there's a lot of dust up in the air so we're just going to have to kind of see where it settles once the weekend is all said and done there's a lot of ways that the standings could go Mm -hmm. based on the outcomes of this weekend's matchups so it's it's a really good week to watch fantasy football in our league yeah, um, and I, I kind of hope, you know, not to shake too many things up, but I, I kind of hope there are some different upsets and things just to kind of make the end of the week a little more interesting and make the, the end of the season very interesting when looking at the standings. Because if you look at it, if Michael, Jake, and Sean were to lose this upcoming week, then that kind of locks not completely, but everyone else kind of into the playoffs um, because it would be very tough for Sean sitting at a five and six record, he'd need a two losing streak, a two game losing streak from somebody in the playoffs and a two game winning streak from himself to get in. Um, so that would some, be, yeah. that would be something if, yeah. if it just so happened that both Jake, Mike, and I shouldn't say both, all three of Jake, Mike and Sean all lost because yeah. at that point, it's just like you said, we're basically yeah, playing proceeding at that point. Yeah. And that would also be a pretty crazy upset for Keegan's team to pull off. Yeah. Like there's Insane. there's just so many things yeah. that can happen this week. I believe it or not, even though that would basically guarantee a playoff spot for me, I kind of hope that that doesn't happen because I really want to see this exactly. playoff bracket come down to the wire. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting that it you know it, it could shake out that way. Yeah, you know it's 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 good that we're starting to get to the point where. Uh, a matchup on any given week can like fully set or fully shake up the playoff bracket. I really love this time of year. So I agree. Let's get into some trade talk. It was pretty slow uh, up until today. And 
today nothing crazy happened, but just a couple more deals that gave us a little bit more content in a typically heavy segment in terms of the quantity of deals made on any, any given week. There were four total since last episode before today, and then two more got made today. So we have six this week. We will uh, go ahead and share those and as well as our initial gut reactions to those. So the first one of the week, it was Damon giving up Washington's defense and Philadelphia's defense and Jake giving up Kansas City's defense and the Los Angeles Rams defense. And what this was, was them trolling and swapping back defenses after they made that. Obviously, it was a just a joke deal now that we can see it in retrospect to say that Jake is one of the exclusive people on Damon's trading list that we joked about. I told them, you know, in the league group chat that I should veto them. I should veto that trade just to uh, have the last laugh myself. I didn't, obviously. I wouldn't mess with them like that, but there's nothing really to say here. They didn't actually make a trade because last week they had the opposite defenses on their team. So now they're just getting them back from each other. Yeah, I agree. It was just kind of stupid. Agreed. So the next one, the first real trade of the week, Sean gave up Robert Tunyon and James Conner. Mike gave up Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, and Jonu Smith. My initial thoughts were that I think I like whoever is RB1 in Indianapolis more than I like James Conner for fantasy. The problem is it's hard to pick on a weekly basis who's going to have the better game between Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. So that's it kind of makes the trade equal in a sense because, of course, in terms of value, if you're going to move them in a deal, you want the Indianapolis running back duo over James Conner. But in terms of like, if you're going to start them in your lineup, it's really it's so hard to pick between them. Um, it kind of makes your job as a fantasy manager a little bit more challenging. So, I think Sean maybe gets the slight edge in this deal based on the fact that I think I would also rather have Johnu Smith than Robert Tunyon just by a little bit. But it's definitely a close trade between Sean and Mike. What do you think? Yeah, I actually completely agree with what you just said. I think. For me, I think I just think the JT and Naeem Hines portion of this trade kind of wins it for Sean, um, not even looking at everything else. Um, but even when you look at those other parts with Robert Tunyon and Jonu Smith, obviously Smith's production has kind of dropped over the last couple of weeks. You know, he's still doing well, and he's not doing bad at all. Um, and he's still one of the top tight ends in the league. Uh, but he, he's not kind of putting up those numbers that he was putting up early in the season. Um, but either way – that running back matchup and having John U. Smith there, I think kind of wins it for Sean. Yeah. I, I think Sean got more value. I think Mike got rid of some headache. So I think there are pros and cons to both sides, but uh, nonetheless, you know, it, it was a good trade, yeah. you know, fair, fair, even deal. The next one we have, was our biggest one of the week. It was Jake giving up Christian McCaffrey and AJ Green and Nick giving up the entire Seattle backfield. Chris Carson, DJ Dallas, and Carlos Hyde. Eddie, I'll let you kick us off. What were your thoughts on this trade? I think originally, and I still kind of do feel a little indifferent about this, um, considering Christian McCaffrey's out again this week. So it's not like he's he's kind of reaping those benefits right now. I think over the long run, I think this is a really good move for Nick. 
considering that Christian McCaffrey stays healthy for the playoffs because that's a big ad no matter who has him. Even if he produces at half of what he's normally producing, he's still dropping 15 to 20 points a game. Um, so I think I think this is a good trade for Nick, but I also think this is a really good trade for Jake here, adding that backfield um, with Chris Carson being questionable to play this week. Um, having DJ Dallas and Carlos Hyde is kind of like your safety net right there. I think I think that's pretty good for him. And then again, AJ Green has just kind of been a disappointment this year. So I think that was just something that was thrown in there just to kind of have something else in there realistically. But I think that this trade was pretty good for Nick in the moment that it was made. And then it turned into a spectacular trade when Chris Carson got ruled out. And then Nick picked up the win over Scott because Jake traded one star running back who's actually the number one player in fantasy when he's healthy. I don't think anybody would argue with that. For presumably another starter who has a pretty high upside, but I think Jake was also banking on Chris Carson to be healthy right out of the gate, being in a position where he was four and five and could take one more loss, but would prefer not to obviously for a couple weeks but ended up taking one anyway. Um, you know, and part of that that was contributed to his bad week was DJ Dallas having him and not having Chris Carson. So he ended up giving the best player in fantasy who was hurt. Yes. But he gave him for another backfield situation that was murky, murky due to injury rather than getting a healthy running back one. I don't blame Jake for trading McCaffrey because we ended last week's episode, you know, talking about should Jake trade McCaffrey. So certainly a viable strategy. My qualm with it was that if I were in Jake's shoes, I wouldn't have taken another injury risk affected situation on moving McCaffrey out because that's what you're trying to do trading McCaffrey, right? You're trying to eliminate the risk of injury. Not I mean obviously McCaffrey was already out so you're trying to just get somebody into your lineup. But the the overall underlying motive behind trading McCaffrey is you're sending injury out, you're trying to bring healthy production in. And he didn't get that right away with this deal. Um so, you know, bravo to Nick on that getting one injured star running back out and getting an even better one back even if it meant waiting on him for a couple of weeks, getting, getting the best back um, and then picking up that win over Scott. Now, you know, with eight wins, the most, the, the worst record that Nick can have finishing the year now is eight and five. And I'm just going to go on the record and say right now that an eight and five record is going to guarantee a playoff spot this year based on how our standings look right now. So now Nick is guaranteed to have Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Pat Mahomes, among others, you know, is Allen Robinson on his team still, Juju Smith-Schuster. Those guys could pick it up as well. That is a lot of just absolute studs to have in a lineup. I think Nick shared with me earlier this week that he has like three of the first four picks or four of the first five. No, it's, it's three of the first four picks in our draft that happened this year. And the only one that he doesn't have is the guy that's out for the season, Saquon Barkley. So there's no denying that Nick now has a, a star-studded lineup. Um, so I think this is a pretty slam-dunk deal for Nick, especially with the way that it aged just since it's happened a few days ago. Any closing thoughts there? No, nah, not at all. Okay. 
The next one we have, Mike gives up Rob Gronkowski, J.D. McKissick, and Graham Gano. Scott gives up Darren Waller, Brashad Perryman, and Will Lutz. I'm just going to go ahead and say that I think that Mike won this trade. I think that he got the best player in the deal by a decent margin in Darren Waller. And, you know, the best player that he gave up from his side was Rob Gronkowski, who he upgraded by getting the best player in the deal, Darren Waller, because he's also a tight end. So in order to kind of get that upgrade, all he was really doing was taking the downgrade from J.D. McKissick as a flex to Brashard Perryman as a flex, who he's probably not even going to start as a flex, but he just got him back because he had a great game this week. I don't, you know, I can't fault that move. Kickers, it's not really that important to the deal, but I think Will Lutz is a better kicker than Graham Gano as well. So, so Mike was able to upgrade two spots and one of them pretty importantly to now what I would call the number two tight end in the league consensusly with George Kittle being out. He's only behind Travis Kelsey, of course. And he also got a kicker upgrade, which can't hurt as well, all through sending away JD McKissick and taking on Brashard Perryman. So I think that was a great move by Mike. Um, boosted the value of his team, boosted his chances for the rest of the season. What do you think? Yeah, and kind of going back to the comment that I made earlier um, with the Darren Waller and Rob Gronkowski thing, obviously it's kind of like a hot take on me, and, and it was just more so looking at kind of the the output and production for the most part um, as of right now. I think over the long haul, I think Darren Waller is obviously going to produce a lot better and get more points, obviously looking at his averages. You know, he's averaging more points. Um, I think just Gronkowski has been doing really well these past couple weeks. Um and I think he's still kind of on the up here. So that was just kind of that note that I made earlier. But I think overall, I still think, like you just said, I think it's a really good move for Mike, bringing in Darren Waller, who has kind of that boom potential that can do really well. Uh, Rashad Perryman, most likely not going to start him. And then kind of with that kicker comparison, Graham Gano's on a bye this week, so he didn't have to worry about a bye bringing in Will Lutz and having a kicker this upcoming week. So I think it's a good move for him. You know, he upgraded in one spot and got rid of a buy in another spot. Um, so good for him on this one. Yeah, that was a good trade for Mike. The second to last deal, which was the first one of today, talking about Tuesday, that's when we're recording this. Nick gave up Sammy Watkins and J.K. Dobbins. Mike gave up Sterling Shepard and Robert Tunyon. Uh, nothing earth-shattering in this trade. I think the player that I would want most of the four is Sterling Shepard. So on account of that, I would say that Nick slightly got the better end of this deal. But at the same time, I wouldn't start any of the four players in this trade. So I don't think it's anything earth shattering. And if Mike felt like Sammy Watkins and J.K. Dobbins help him to win this week or the week after more than the other two guys do, which you know makes sense because Sterling Shepard's on a bye this week, then I can't fault him for targeting this trade. What do you think? Yeah, I think this is a trade that normally doesn't get made, but I think with the situation that he's in, having to get rid of Sterling Shepard and Nick being able to afford that buy because he doesn't necessarily need a win. Obviously, everyone wants a win, like I've said before, but he doesn't need it. He has enough players where he can kind of cover that buy. I think in general, I think this is a good trade for both ends. I think they both picked up something that they kind of wanted slash needed. Um Overall, just kind of been different about the trade. Sure. That takes us to our last trade of the week, which was you giving up Marquise Hollywood Brown and Rex Burkhead and Jake giving up Eric Ebron. 
Um, I think this is completely even. I don't think that you can rely on any kind of consistency from Hollywood Brown or Rex Burkhead. Uh, I don't really think that you can rely on any big upside from Ebron, but maybe he gives you a floor of six to seven points per week, which could be a valuable attribute that he brings to the table. Uh, so kind of two opposite ends of the spectrum here. I would say Ebron is more of a floor tight end, whereas Hollywood Brown and Rex Burkhead are more of boom or bust running back slash wide receiver players. So, you know, I didn't look too much into this trade. I think if that's what each side preferred, then that was fine with me. Yeah. Um, and I guess my biggest thing pulling him in, you know, I didn't really have a very good backup tight end. I had Fells. And I felt like, you know, Marquise Brown nor Burkhead are ever going to start in my lineup for the rest of this season. Um, so they were just pretty much taking up bench spots for me. And I said, you know, is there a team out there with two tight ends with one stud tight end? and one that's just sitting on the bench that I can kind of go and move these two out, bring them in. And I plan on keeping Ebron in for the rest of the year, considering, you know, him and Evan Ingram have had, have had pretty identical seasons so far. You know, I think Evan Ingram has more of a boom, but he hasn't really had any of those booms this year. Um, so him and Ebron have had a really similar seasons. And, you know, my plan from here on out is, kind of keep Ebron on the team and kind of use him on a matchup basis and kind of what I'm feeling might be the best matchup for him. Um, and again, it's filling up a spot for me this week with uh, Evan and Grimaud on a bye that I really needed and I'm not really giving up too much. I picked up Burkhead off of the waiver um, and I picked up Marquise off of a trade that I made. So it's not really like I'm losing anything that I, I really was needing. So yeah, you probably saw you saw Ebron dancing on the sideline with Juju this past weekend and thought, I want that guy on my team. I can't blame you there. Yeah. Let's get into trade of the week. I covered it pretty much in heavy detail already, so I'm not going to comment too much more on it. My trade of the week was Jake giving up Christian McCaffrey and AJ Green and Nick giving up in return Chris Carson, DJ Dallas, and Carlos Hyde. So the only thing that I'll add was just reiterating that I understand the spot Jake was in but I was really, really surprised to see him give up Christian McCaffrey plus for basically one starting player, um, the best of which is currently injured, talking about Chris Carson. So I'll just toss it to you. What was your trade of the week? I think my trade of the week was uh, the trade with Mike and Scott. Um, I think, you know, for, for this week, and that's why it was my trade of this week, I think Mike is, is adding a a good tight end and I think a, and a tight end who averages more. And I think obviously I think he's a better tight end as of right now, um, kind of on average over the past few weeks, I wouldn't say as much, but I think for him kind of as a brighter outlook for the rest of the season, I think it's a good ad for him. And then again, with letting go of Graham Gano and his buy and picking up Will Lutz, who doesn't have a buy. Um, I think for him, it was just really smart this week to kind of fill those gaps and give him the best chance to win. And I actually missed it, but that was my honorable mention was that same trade between yeah. Mike and Scott. So I agree with what you said there. Yeah. You know, I'm, this is off topic, but I'm looking into our uh, standings right now and I'm, this doesn't really mean anything, but Eddie, I'm, I'm seeing your team sitting at a six and four record. You guys are five and one away. 
But your home record is one and three. You guys are just it's not. Horrible. You guys are not giving the fans something to cheer about this year on the Ironman Snap team. Yeah, not at all. I actually, I think a few weeks back, I had mentioned this to you that my away record is a lot better than my home record. Um, and yeah, we're just we're doing really bad at home. We're kind of like you guys just like getting out on the road. I guess it's the opposite of the Seventy Sixers, if you want to compare it that way. The Seventy Sixers yeah. are an amazing team at home, but on the road they're horrible. We're the complete opposite of that. And that's talking about the NBA for all of you guys who don't yeah. care about basketball. If you live under a rock and don't know who the Seventy Sixers <laughs> yeah, are, maybe. Of course, home and away records have absolutely nothing to do with anything. I don't really know why why ESPN incorporates them, but. I was just looking at it, so I thought it would be funny to bring up. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into a segment that we had on our inaugural episode called The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. We're talking about trades that have happened in our league this year that, you know, since they've been made, they have aged well. That would be the good. They have aged poorly. That would be the bad. Or that have aged horribly. That would be the ugly. We're going to choose trades that have happened since the last time that we featured this segment. So do you want to lead us off or do you want me to jump in and give us, or give you my, the good. I'll, uh, I'll start this one off with the good. Uh, My, the good trade was a Ric Flair drip, which was Drake um, and Damon. Uh, Damon received Matt Ryan, Chase Edmonds and Calvin Ridley. Uh, Obviously Kenyon Drake is out right now. So Chase Edmonds has been taking the majority of the share um, on that backfield. And he's been doing really well back there, and he's been putting up some consistent numbers. And I think another side note to have here is that Damon also has Kenyon Drake, so he has that backfield right now. So I think it's a good move for him. Matt Ryan has been putting up some pretty decent numbers. He's been uh, a little bit more consistent, um, some weeks a little bit above average um, than he normally does, so I think he's done really well. Uh, Calvin Ridley hasn't played since the trade because he's kind of going through through an injury right now but i think you know when he's on the field he was the number one wide receiver in fantasy so that's a really good ad for him for once he comes back um on jake's side is aaron Rodgers, brandon Ayuk, and michael thomas aaron Rodgers. i mean there's there's really no no big thing that you can fault there you know aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback um he had one down week and ever since then, and even before that, you know, he's a consistent quarterback and he's going to put up those numbers for you. Brandon Ayuk has been doing really well considering that Debo Samuel's out. Obviously, Ayuk's production might drop a little bit once and if Debo does come back. But either way, he's been making the most out of that opportunity. And then Michael Thomas right now coming off of injury, he he's had a 10-point game and he's had a four-point game. You know, nothing crazy on Michael Thomas's end, but I think he's him and Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara, and obviously it's going to be Jameis Winston now. So this might change this upcoming week. Michael Thomas might get a lot of targets. Um, but, you know, Michael Thomas hasn't really been doing too much, and that offense has been running through Alvin Kamara and has been doing everything through Alvin Kamara. You know, Jameis Winston coming in, you know, he might give Michael Thomas some more targets. You know, Jameis coming from the Bucks, he had Mike Evans, big target, and he loved feeding Mike Evans the ball. So maybe he'll have kind of that connection with Mike Thomas for this week or the next week, depending on how far, um, how long Drew Brees is out. Yeah, my, the good trade was you giving up Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, and CeeDee Lamb. Scott giving up Aaron Jones. Ryan Tannehill, and Cooper Cup. So 
So this trade obviously has aged really well for both sides and really shaped the foundation of both teams' rosters as Russell Wilson and Aaron Jones have become pillars of Scott and Eddie's lineups. And it's, you know, it was a beautifully executed trade that has clearly benefited both teams as the timing of it perfectly coincided with the explosion of both teams as clear top teams in the league. So that's pretty much, I think, all that needs to be said for, you know, that choice of the good was that trade between you and Scott. I actually do have a couple or actually just one honorable mention, which was another trade you were involved with, Eddie. It was you giving up Keenan Allen and Le'Veon Bell. JC giving up Josh Jacobs and Marquise Hollywood Brown. Um, you got, you know, some running back reinforcement and Josh Jacobs, who just had a monster game this past week. JC, we've already talked about Keenan Allen in pretty solid detail last episode. We know that we know how high we are on Keenan Allen, you know, potentially a top five wide receiver rest of the season. So he got something that he needed with wide receiver help. Um, and then, you know, even the second piece on each side of the deal, Le'Veon Bell and Hollywood Brown have both been pretty big disappointments, but it's fortunate that they've both been disappointments because it's not like one of you got a really good flex player alongside your stud. You guys have kind of both equally benefited from getting a star and a player that's just been really uh, kind of dreadful to roster because you don't, you don't want to, drop them, but you don't want to start them either. I thought that was a pretty good trade as well. Anything to add since those both were your own trades? Nothing, nothing really too, too crazy to add there. Okay. So the bad I have, this one might be a little bit under the radar, but I think it's appropriate to choose here. I had me giving up Dallas Goddard and Mike Williams and Nick giving up TJ Hawkinson and Damian Harris. And this was one of the this was one of those deals that the way that it aged makes it look a lot worse than it was at the time. Because at the time, TJ Hawkinson was only a borderline top 10 tight end, and certainly not a player that you started with absolute confidence every week. And Damon Harris, the other guy that I got in that trade, had been injured for most of the season at that point and hadn't yet shown the big flashes of production that he has recently. But since this trade. TJ Hawkinson has turned into a surefire top three tight end by kind of process of elimination now that Kittle is out for the season. Uh, While each of the other players, I'm talking about all three of the other players, haven't really amounted to much regarding the consistency of their production. So, you know, basically for only one of them to emerge as a true set it and forget it player, I just think that that kind of naturally lends itself to being one of the trades that ages as the bad um, and obviously favoring the, the guy that got the must-start player, which just happened to be me in this deal, getting TJ Hawkinson. I did have two honorable mentions for this, for the bad. The first, uh, it was Scott giving up Tyler Lockett, Randall Cobb, and Joshua Kelly, and Keegan giving in return DK Metcalf and Travis Fulgham. And I kind of have like a funny little backstory to share with this. I was uh, talking with Nick a couple weeks ago, and he was sharing with me that, you know, he, he saw that Scott was getting more active in the trade market and kind of, it seemed like he was getting, Scott was getting a feel for how each owner manages their team and conducts trade negotiations and exactly what kind of trades you can make with different owners. 
and he was sharing, Nick was sharing with me. He, he said that he thought he kind of, that Scott kind of figured Keegan out. And, and that was after he made that first deal with him where he sent him Travis Fulgham and Hunter Henry and got Darren Waller and Tim Patrick back in that deal. And, and back then it wasn't, you know, Travis Fulgham wasn't necessarily an established star like he looks like now. And Darren Waller was pretty close to Travis Kelsey, you know, nipping at his heels as the number two tight end. So it kind of looked like that deal favored Scott back then. And Nick shared that, you know, Scott maybe felt like, wow, I got a really good trade here and nobody's even saying any, he, you know, he's not speaking for Scott here, of course, but he thought maybe Scott was thinking he got a really good end of the deal and nobody was saying anything in the group. So maybe he thought, well, I can maybe go get away with a little bit more. So he kind of made a joke that Scott was like a home burglar going back into Keegan's house after taking a couple <laughs> rings and Scott burst back through the door and said, give me all you got <laughs> and took everything else that Keegan had left from his team. So, you know, I didn't give any breakdown into the trade, but Fulgham and Metcalf have been really, really good. And Lockett has been really the only good player that Keegan got back. And he himself has been really inconsistent. He is the definition of boom or bust in fantasy. So Scott made out like a bandit, you know, I think in retrospect on that deal. The other honorable mention I had for the bad was Nick giving up Christian Kirk. And in return, receiving two players that are actually on the waiver wire now, Trey Burton and Justin Jackson. So those were my honorable mentions. What do you got, Eddie, for the bad? For the bad, I think it's bad on both sides on this one right here that I'm looking at. Um, you know, kind of took a little bit of a different twist on this. So it's it's a trade between Scott and Nick. Uh, Nick received J.K. Dobbins and Austin Hooper, and Scott received Philip Lindsay and Kendrick Bourne. So just looking into the numbers, since this trade was made, J.K. Dobbins has had a combined 7.9 points since the acquisition, and Austin Hooper had one bye week, obviously, but had an outing of a 2.1 fantasy points um, the the week after that. Obviously, there's there's a high upside on Austin Hooper and possibly J.K. And Do- Dobbins because of the offenses that they're in. But that's just that's bad. Um, and then on the other end, with Scott receiving Philip Lindsay, Philip Lindsay has had an abysmal 2.5 points since the acquisition. He also got Kendrick Bourne, who had 6.6 week 10. And he was in a bye week 11, and then he is currently dropped right now. I think on both ends of the trade, this just turned out kind of bad on both ends. Uh, Obviously, J.K. Dobbins has moved around a couple times um, throughout certain transactions, um, and I'm pretty sure he moved a couple times after this one. But either way, I think it was just a bad trade on both ends. Yeah, that's a that's a unique approach to picking the bad. And I actually appreciate that because you're right. It didn't really work out for either of them. So it was kind of a it was an even trade, but you definitely don't call that a good trade because yeah, nobody no. really got anything out of it. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the ugly. This one was so clear for me. Uh, how else could you pick anything other than Eddie giving up Todd Gurley, Jamal Williams, Josh Reynolds and Marvin Jones Jr. and getting from Kyron, Tyree Kill, and Brandon Cooks. Honestly, I think that this is a contender for worst trade in league history based on the who and the when of this deal. Uh, not only was this trade very obviously one-sided, but it was made even worse by Kyron's willingness to eat Cooks by four Eddie while squandering the opportunity to get Jamal Williams' last running back one game for the Packers. 
Um, I'm not mad or upset about it in any way because in retrospect, I knew somebody was going to hit a heist on Kyron based on the position he was in, um, which was facing elimination so early in the season. It was just a matter of which owner would benefit from it and how bad it would be. And it just kind of ended up being pretty, (laughs) really bad. (laughs) So that was my the ugly. What do you got? And like I said before, and I talked to you about this trade, I did my due diligence to actually try to help him so he didn't have to eat the bye and have Jamal Williams the week before. You know, I told him, I was like, if you take Todd Gurley at this point, this trade ain't going through till the week after. And he was okay with it. So obviously I'm not justifying that trade right there because I obviously know what way that trade leans. But just saying I feel like I did my part in letting him know what was going to happen if he accepted the trade. So um, with that being said, jumping into the ugly, I have a trade between Scott and Michael. Scott received J.K. Dobbins, Scotty Miller, and Melvin Gordon III. Mike, Mike received Jono Smith, Naeem Hines, and Jonathan Taylor. <clears throat> J.K. Dobbins was traded away, like I said before. He didn't really get to use him in his lineup because he traded him. I think this trade happened immediately after the other one processed. Um, but Dobbins, 7.9 points since the acquisition. Just not very good. Scotty Miller was dropped, not even on his lineup. The only person on his lineup from that trade was Melvin Gordon. And over the past two weeks, he's only combined for 8.3 points since the trade happened. So not a very good trade on his side. If you look at Michael's side of this trade... <clears throat> it kind of looks like a robbery to an extent. Nothing too crazy, but when you break it down, it does. Jonu Smith has dropped 20.7 points over the last two weeks. Nothing crazy. He had, I think, a 13-point week, and then he had like a six-point week. Um, Naheem Hines has had a combined 25.5 points since the trade, and Jonathan Taylor has had a combined 15.1 since the trade. That Colts backfield alone has gotten him a total of 40 points over the last two weeks. Um, which is nothing crazy, but when you get 20 points a week from one backfield, that's a pretty solid trade for you. Um, So I think overall, I think this is really ugly for Scott, and I think it looks really good on Michael's end. I have nothing to add, so go ahead and take us into the Around the League segment. All right. So getting into the Around the League segment, we're going to start with our fantasy over-under. Currently, my record is six and nine, and Nate is seven and eight. So I'm closing in on you, getting pretty close. Uh, again, like I said last week, I need a pretty good week this week. Neither of us of, are kind of overtake you. Doing too well overall. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Maybe we'll not get better all. next season, but but yeah. see how the see how we finish the year out. Yeah, exactly. So going here with the first matchup, I have Aaron Rodgers going up against the number one pass defense in the Indianapolis Colts with an over under of twenty. What do you got? I am throwing the Colts defense out the window and saying that Aaron Rodgers, the bad man, balls out and scores over 20 points. Nothing more to add to that. I also agree. When you look at that Packers offense in total, Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones just kind of alone, those two pieces, you know, Indianapolis's run defense, not so great. So with them being able to settle down and run the ball a little bit, I think it's going to open up that secondary a little bit more. And I think Aaron Rodgers will definitely drop over 20 this upcoming week. Moving on, our next matchup, 
surprise this year, James Robinson has been balling out so far this year, but he faces his toughest defense with the number one run defense in the league, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Will James Robinson have over under 15 points? What do you got? Picking one player over another in my lineup here. I'm taking the over 15 points for James Robinson. I can't pick against my boy who has been, and I, you know, I'm not intentionally patting myself on the back, but I have never truly, I'm, I've never made a better pick in a fantasy football draft than selecting James Robinson in the last round of our draft this past year. I think he's running back three on the year and we're, Yes, he is. 11 weeks in on the year. Yeah. I've never, ever made a better pick than this. And, you know, based on that hype alone and how he's performed all year, I got to, even, even with my number two Pittsburgh defense overall in the season, I got to go with my boy. That has been the biggest pleasant surprise for me this year. Pick the over for James Robinson of 15 points against Pittsburgh. And listen, I'm going to pat your back here too. I'm going to say overall for the value and what you use to grab him and where he's at right now, I think this can easily be made one of the best picks in this year's draft. I think easily considering what his value is right now and where he was taken at the time. Um, So kudos on that. That being said, I've taken the under against Pittsburgh's defense a lot this year, Um, but I have a feeling like James Robinson's going to be running the rock a lot this upcoming week. Um, with kind of that quarterback situation, not knowing exactly what it looks like. And if they have Lutton in the backfield again, probably not going to look so good for him. So I think James Robinson might smash the over on this one. And I think he'll have a pretty good week. All right, moving on to the next one. We're going to have a team here. So last week, fantasy football team squeaked one out. Really say squeaked one out. The team just didn't really have a very good one. No, week. you could say squeaked one out. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, and that's pretty accurate. His team didn't have a very good week. <laughs> he would have lost to seven out of the other ten teams that he could have played in the league. And I think he got pretty lucky with his matchup. Just gonna throw that out there. Um, but he's projected 147 this week, and the over/under I have is 140. I'm gonna go with the under this week. What do you got? I am hammering the over here. I'm going triple over this week. I can't make, you know, I can't gas up my brother all episode, making him my Cinderella pick, complimenting his management style, and kind of get to the end of the road and turn around now. I got to pick the over for the fantasy football team over 140 points. While I don't necessarily think he is the number one team in true talent on his roster. At this point in the year, I do believe that he is one of the top four teams um, without question, and I think that that means that he'll get he should get over 140 just about every week, and this week should be no, no different for him. So I'm taking triple over here uh, with all three of my picks. Bold, bold move, Cotton. Bold move. Yeah, well, I have a good feeling about this week, but <laughs> I say that about every week, and so I'm do seven I. and eight, so... <laughs> Let's uh, get into a little player A or player B action here. Got a pair of running backs. Got a pair of wide receivers this week. I'll let you pick because uh, I normally do them in order of how I list them. Who do you want to? What do you want to hear about first? The running backs or the wide receivers? Let's go with the wide receivers. All right. 
Wide receiver A has averaged seven receptions on eight targets for 69 yards. He has scored three touchdowns on the season and holds a weekly average of 16.1 fantasy points per game. Wide receiver B has averaged four receptions on six targets or 56 yards and a touchdown in each game. And this player has scored nine touchdowns on the season and holds a weekly average of 15.5 fantasy points per game. Who would you rather have? Wide receiver A or wide receiver B? Could you repeat A for me, please? A has seven receptions on eight targets for 69 yards, three touchdowns on the season, 16.1 fantasy points per game. Hmm. Player A or player B? I think I'm going to stick with my, uh, with my gut here. Kind of go on what I normally go off of. I had a feeling. I'm more of a yards guy than a touchdown guy. I think pretty much everyone in the league already knows this. I um, think yards are a lot easier to come by than touchdowns. So, But let me – before you lock in your pick, he only has 13 more yards per game but six less touchdowns in the season. You still going with A? Still going with A considering the fact that he's still averaging more points than him for the year. Sure. Um, obviously, some of his games – with those three touchdowns are probably a little skewed. I'm saying that he probably has a couple games where he scored a lot of points mm-hmm. and some of those touchdowns, maybe even two of those touchdowns could have gained from one game. Um, so even with that being said, I- I'm going to take a here, but I think B has a chance of having more consistent games across the board with yards and touchdowns, considering he scored on every game. Um, but I, th- I think I'm going to go with the yards here, even though it's just a small amount of yards. Um, I think I'm going to go with the yards. On going a. with A? Yeah. Yep. It's close, but I agree with you. Wide receiver A is Tyler Boyd. Wide receiver B, any guess? There's not too many players that have scored nine touchdowns. Yeah, no, not at all. So um, any guess? Nine touchdowns this year not all of them are receiving touchdowns that's a little hint for you Hmm. i actually am stumped i don't know who it is chase claypool pittsburgh Steelers. okay tyler boyd is wide receiver 12 on the season chase claypool is wide receiver 16 so they're pretty close okay i would still even looking looking at their stats and looking at their names I would take Boyd over Claypool because I would I want the consistent player over the Boomer Bus player at this this late in the season. I but agree, and close both to are half very of, good players to have on your team. Yeah, and close to half of Claypool's touchdowns came from one game. So that's true. Yeah, that's true. All right, let's move on to the running back pairing. Running back A has averaged 48 rushing yards and one rushing touchdown on 11 carries per game while also catching three passes for 22 yards on average in each game. He is averaging 14.2 fantasy points per game through 10 weeks. Running back B has averaged 62 rushing yards and one rushing touchdown on 15 carries per game 
while also catching two passes for 15 yards in each game and is averaging 13.5 fantasy points per game through 10 weeks. Who would you rather have, player A or player B? Can you put up uh, player A again one more time? Sure. Averaging 48 rushing yards and one rushing touchdown on 11 carries per game while also adding three catches for 22 yards and overall is averaging 14.2 fantasy points per game. I think... I think this is a really tough one for me. Um, But I think that that one catch coming out of the backfield um, per game and that one reception, considering this is a PPR league, obviously one reception isn't anything crazy, but it's a point. Um, Less rushing yards. I think I'm going to take A here, and I think a good player to compare this to is obviously probably not even – it's not even close to him, but this is kind of where he leans towards Alvin Kamara actually doesn't have a lot of rushing yards on the season. Um, And even this last game wasn't a very good rushing game for him, but he got some more receptions. And I think a running back that can kind of catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit better. Um, Obviously it's only one catch on average more, um, but that's enough to get him 1.7 points in this league, which for how close this comparison is, I think that's pretty, uh, I think that's pretty good. I'm going to go with a here. Yeah, that's a fair pick. Uh, Player A was Antonio Gibson. He's running back 12 on the year. Mm -hmm. Player B was traded this week, James Conner, running back 15 on the year. I thought that was a pretty interesting comparison to make because James Conner, you look at his production, and maybe maybe it's just me that thinks this way. I think James Conner, and I think... He's not a stud, but he's a consistent running back that you certainly wouldn't complain about having on your roster because you would start him every week that he's healthy. But when you look at it a little bit more closely, you kind of see a little bit more of an under-the-radar name like Antonio Gibson, who's actually been better than him um, with less touches overall on the year. And so... An interesting note that I actually gathered about them because I wanted to look at this even closer than just making the base stat line comparisons was their usage lately. Um, and talking about the last two games, while Connor has only recorded 68 total yards on 22 total carries and four total receptions in the last two weeks, Antonio Gibson has compiled 120 yards on 19 total carries and seven total receptions. Now, the difference is Gibson has found the end zone three times over the last two weeks compared to James Conner's zero. So just a tale of two players trending in completely opposite directions over these last two weeks. Um, And I don't think it was close before these past two weeks in terms of the comparison between them. But now it's very close, and, and it's not a matter of they've been neck and neck all year. It's a matter of one is kind of trending down while the other is simultaneously trending up. So I thought it was a good comparison to make this week for player A or player B. Any closing thoughts on any of those four players that we covered in this segment? No, not at all. I think actually I have one. And I think that last comparison, I think is a pretty good one to make. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers offense is becoming more of an air raid offense. Um, I agree. And they're doing very well at passing the ball. Big Ben, 
to my surprise, and I will be the first one to say this, he's playing a hell of a year this year coming off of his injury. Um, and I'm a little bit surprised at how well he's playing. Did I know he was going to play ball like Big Ben plays ball? Yes, but I think he's just on a different level this year, and I think he's out there trying to prove a point to a lot of people, um, and he's proven it pretty well. So I would be the that. last one to say this because I'm always – a little bit more pessimistic about the Steelers because maybe I'm a, maybe I, maybe I call myself a realist as in like, I try to set realistic expectations for my home team, but it probably comes off as pessimism. So long story short, I would be the last one to call Ben elite, but he has been an elite quarterback this year. Um, And it's a lot of fun to watch, not just the defense carry, but for the offense to get it done through the air too, but it's kind of coming James Connors expense. He's, he was just yeah. not out there for even most of the game this past week and the week before in Dallas as well. It just didn't see him on the field too much, which is a shame. For yeah. And I think one thing that they're teams. realizing is that James Connor, although he's a good and consistent running back, I don't think he has that it factor. Sure. And a lot of people compare him to Le'Veon Bell and said, well, he's producing just as well. But the thing with Le'Veon Bell at the time when he was at that offense is that he had that it factor. He can break off a play at any point in time. Right. I just don't think James Conner can do that. So Sure. Yeah, he's kind of the slow – like Le'Veon Bell was like the the rabbit, so to speak. James Conner is kind of like the turtle. Yeah. yeah. Slow and steady. He gets it done, but it's nothing spectacular. Exactly. All right, getting – Close to the end of the episode, we'll talk about transaction of the week really quickly. I have Mike adding New Orleans defense and dropping Arizona's defense. And, you know, I can confirm that Mike did the right thing here by playing a strong matchup with the Saints defense, who was getting a weak San Francisco offense this past weekend. He even made the relatively tough choice of playing them over a strong Tampa Bay defense that has been pretty lights out this year with the exception of last week's game versus New Orleans. Um, And the Saints defense ended up being a large part of Mike coming out on top in his matchup with Jake. They contributed 15 points to Michael's victory that came by a 24-point margin. So that was an important move for Mike to make and then set his lineup with um, and ultimately made it pretty easy sailing into a win this weekend for him. I did want to give an honorable mention to Nick who added Salvin Ahmed and dropped Ryan Nall right before kickoff on Sunday. Salvin Ahmed is a running back for the dolphins that was filling in for injured miles Gaskin injured Matt Breida. I think Jordan Howard might've also been inactive based on a coach's decision. So that was kind of ballsy for him to pick him up and start him last minute and ended up paying off because I think he scored over 16 points could have also given an honorable mention to myself with the ad of Kalen Balage because he dropped 15 points, but I, na- I had no intention of starting him. So I didn't really care too much to throw that here in this segment, even though I just kind of name dropped it. But two similar transactions that I did want to give a slight nod to. What do you have? Yeah, and I actually, I also have a defense here. I have Lucas picking up the Packers defense. Um, I think the Packers played a really good game this past week. You know, the numbers aren't crazy, but, you know, they dropped seven points which for him, he he won by 14 points or so. Um, so that seven-point swing kind of helped put the space in there for him. I, obviously, it wasn't a deciding factor. His defense could have dropped a goose egg, and he probably he still would have won that matchup. But I think overall, for him to add this defense and then them produce and give him seven points for this, for this past week, I think was a really good add for him. 
Sure. Let's get into the end of the episode here, talking about news and notes. We have a few things to talk about this week that are, you know, interesting for how the rest of the season will play out. First, Drew Brees has five broken ribs and a collapsed lung. That sounds super painful. painful. That sounds like it hurts to breathe. Yeah. That's the kind of injury that sounds like. Um, Sean Payton hasn't named a, a starter yet at quarterback. It's Jameis. It's going to be Jameis Winston, right? Like he's likely just like Sean Payton's probably just keeping his cards close to the vest so that the other team doesn't have an advantage of prepping for one quarterback over the other. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I'm going to say yes on this one, considering if he starts Jameis or if he starts um, Taysom, Taysom Hill, Hill, it's two completely different running back. I mean, quarterbacks right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it, it's smart of Peyton not to say anything right now, just because, you know, that other, that defense is trying to prep, but they don't really know who to prep for. Realistically, you know, I think that the, the other team most likely knows it's going to be Jameis Winston. I mean, and I agree with that because I think Taysom Hill is too important to the gadget, the gadget plays that the saints run like Mm -hmm. seven times a game. Yeah that if you put him in as the full-time starting quarterback, that takes away that portion of the playbook for the Saints because you can't you can't be having him run those funky plays every play eight times a game yeah. if he's lined up at the starting quarterback position all mm-hmm. game. So I think it's going to be – I think it's pretty obvious that it's going to be Jameis yeah, Winston. Yeah, and I would trust Jameis Winston's 30-for-30 30 30 arm over Taysom Hill right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is kind of crazy to say, but Taysom Hill, has he had some really good throws and some really good plays? Yes, but we haven't really seen it consistently. Jameis Winston can come out there and perform above average and get them their win. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's actually my next question. So if Jameis Winston, and presumably he will be, the starting quarterback for the Saints on a weekly basis, is do you think he's going to be a top 15 fantasy quarterback while Breeze is out? That's a... It's a good question. I think if he's close to it, he's going to be hovering anywhere from 15 to, to 17, somewhere around there. Um, I don't know if I can see him breaking that. The only way that I can see him breaking that offense, I mean, that uh, that barrier is if he, he gets Michael Thomas a little bit more involved and gives Alvin Kamara a little bit of that space to help him perform. Because if you look at his weapons here at uh, with the Saints, overall it's a lot better than what he had at with the Bucks. And he threw 30 touchdowns with the Bucks, um, So I think he has a chance, but I'm really not sure. Yeah, I foresee at least one really good game and at least one really bad game if he makes multiple starts at quarterback. And I would venture to guess that overall in his time as the starter, that if you compare the weeks that he started to the rest of the league over that time span, I'm going to say that, yes, he will be a top 15 fantasy quarterback. And I'm saying that on the basis of how he performed over the past few years in Tampa Bay as a fantasy quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily think that it's going to be a straight line to top 15 fantasy production or like consistent, but I think the overall composite production that he'll give at quarterback while Drew Brees is out is going to be in totality top 15 worthy compared to the rest of the league. So, you know, that's just what I think will happen. It could obviously swing either way. He could, 
you know, randomly out of nowhere, become like a top seven or eight quarterback while Drew Brees is out, or he could be terrible and not even be in the top 20, 25 quarterbacks. So we'll see how that ends up coming out with Drew Brees being out um, and reporters saying that the most optimistic timetable is two to three weeks. Do you think that he's going to return before the end of the fantasy season? And to give a little bit more context to that, he apparently hasn't actually gotten his second opinion with doctors that are outside of the team's staff, which he does plan to do this week. And they're actually going to make the decision of whether or not to put him on IR based on this second opinion. So do you think he's going to return before the end of the fantasy season? I think if he does, it's going to be really late. Um, if he does return, I think it'll be on the very last matchup of the year. I just think with five broken ribs and a punctured lung, I think that's not something that you get over in two, three weeks. I think that's something that's going to take a little bit longer than that. So do I think he'll be back? Yes, possibly. But if he does come back, I think it'll be really late. Sure. And then last question on the Saints quarterback situation. Do you think Jameis Winston starting at quarterback changes the value of any Saints position player? Honestly, I think it lowers the value a little bit of Kamara and raises it for Michael Thomas. I think Jameis Winston has been so used to throwing the ball to wide receivers. He didn't really have that in the backfield where he can throw the ball to Leonard Fournette too much out of the backfield. And who knows? He might love it and he might throw Kamara the ball 10, 15 times a game. I would love that. But I think a realistic outlook for me is I think he's had that connection with wide receivers for a long time. And I think that him with Michael Thomas, I think he might try to find a little bit of a connection there. So I think Michael Thomas's kind of uh, value goes up a little bit here. Yeah, I actually agree. I don't know necessarily that Michael Thomas's value goes up, but I, I think you hit the nail on the head with Kamara taking not a big hit, but a slight hit because Jameis Winston is a throw the ball down the field type of passer rather than a make all the reads. And if it's not a safe throw to make, throw it to your check down running back. He just kind of slings it, which is why he got to 30 interceptions last season. And so I think that Kamara is going to see less targets. I think he'll still be top five running back easily, but I think he'll see a slight downtick in targets in the passing offense. Yeah, and I, and I will say this. It, it could have a lot to do with scheme and a playbook and kind of how the Bucks offense was compared to the the Saints offense. Was the Bucks offense more of an like downfield air raid, you know, with quotation mark because they weren't very great at it, but were they a downfield kind of team? Yeah, if you really look at their team – you know, they'd smash the ball with Leonard Fournette and then they'd try to throw the ball to Mike Evans deep. I think that was Leonard kind of Fournette wasn't on the team last year. Just a heads up. It was Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones. You're right. You're right. You're right. Ronald Jones. My fault. But kind of running the ball in with Ronald Jones and then chucking the ball downfield um, as to where he's coming to an offense that really isn't built for deep passes and crazy throws like that. You know, it's built for more intermediate passes, short, quick throws. Uh, running back burst kind of getting those running backs to work out of the backfield so it could be a scheme thing and Jameis Winston might be able to pull that back you know Sean Payton probably told him if you throw the ball more than five times down the field further than 30 yards you're sitting but who knows (laughs) (laughs) that'd be something funny yeah you know I saw on Twitter this week after the crazy Hail Mary catch that DeAndre Hopkins made in the end zone to win the game over the Bills for the Arizona Cardinals I saw Kyler Murray tweet out uh, 
it was a picture of the catch and his caption was she hopped down there somewhere. <laughs> and uh, I think that's actually a perfect way to describe how Jameis Winston quarterbacks. He just kind of like when he was in Tampa Bay, you know, his philosophy was kind of like, she Mike Evans is down there somewhere. somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, he just yeah, throw yeah. the ball up and that's why he had so many interceptions. Listen, but... it's like any high school quarterback realistically, that's not like great. A high school quarterback is going to find their biggest receiver half the time and just kind of throw it down the field and hope that they can yeah. catch it. And I think that's how Jameis really used to play and might still play. Who knows how he's going to work in this offense, but we'll see. Yeah. Getting into our last piece of news for the episode, Antonio Brown is back at it. This time, breaking a surveillance camera, throwing, <laughs> throwing a bicycle <laughs> at a security guard. <laughs> Shortly before signing with Tampa Bay, and actually, the it came out that the NFL was unaware of this incident. How nervous does this make you as his owner? And be honest, because nobody is probably going to trade for him at this point with this news added on to the fact that he's dealing with a civil suit that he's set to appear in court for in December, that the NFL is kind of waiting to see what the outcome of that is going to be. How does this make you feel as his owner? Makes me a little nervous. Um but at the end of the day, I think I'm deep enough at wide receiver where I'm not going to stress too much about it. Will it be nice to have him on my lineup and him drop me a consistent anywhere from 12 to 15 points this year? Yeah, that would be nice. But kind of looking at my lineup for the rest of the year, there aren't very many spots where he might actually start unless he were to go crazy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um so for me, it's not too big of a worry. I think it's more so like I was cool with having him on my bench because it gives me that depth just in case. Um, but if they were to let him go and it not work out with him and him get kicked out of the NFL again, whatever the, the case may be, I don't think I'm going to be hurting too much personally. No, I don't think you'll yeah. be hurting. I yeah. Honestly, at this point, I kind of feel bad for Antonio Brown. Like, yeah, I agree. There's clearly, I think, something wrong with him that he just can't stay out of trouble. Um, even as he was trying to work his way back into the NFL and getting really close since this apparently happened right before he signed with the Buccaneers. Um, I just kind of feel bad for the guy. And even if, even though getting kicked out of the NFL and obviously that would mean getting kicked off of the Buccaneers team would be good for me as the Chris Godwin owner. I would just hate to see that at this point because Antonio Brown, I still think he's one of the best wide receivers in the league. And I just feel bad because you know, I'll, I'm about to ask you, I think that that's going to be a pretty crushing blow to the trajectory of the rest of his NFL career, if there even is any after this. So my next question to you is, if he gets removed from the NFL once again because of, you know, these persistent issues. Is his NFL career over, do you think? I don't think so. Look at Josh Gordon and the things that he's done. Obviously, they're not to the extent of this, but Josh Gordon has been reinstated literally like seven times after being kicked out of the NFL. Right. Um, I think there's still a chance for him. I don't think that his NFL hopes are over. Um, You know, I still think he'll try to come back and I think he'll try to play. And I think there's a chance that he eventually does end up playing if he ends up getting kicked out right now. Um, I wouldn't jump the gun and say his career is over here just because looking around the league at some other players. And I think, if he plays again, I think this also all really relies heavily on what happens in December. If he's found guilty, he never touches a football field again. If he's found not guilty, I think he'll see the football field again. Um, kind of looking back into the league and looking at kind of domestic violence and things along those lines, 
players that are usually found guilty never touch the field again. Ray Rice said he'd give up a whole year of his salary just to play football again, and nobody signed him. So I think it I think it has a lot to do with what happened in December and kind of how that plays out. So yeah, I agree with that. We'll go ahead and take us out on our sixth episode. Yeah, so thanks everyone for coming out to episode number six of this podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Um, might, might, there's a, a small chance that I might actually be starting the podcast for basketball this year. Uh, not 100% sure on it, but kind of keep your ears out, keep your eyes out for that. Um, and I might have something out there just to kind of give uh, give some content for fantasy basketball. We are getting ready to start it, so pretty excited about that. But with that being said, thank you, everyone, and have yourselves a great night. Yeah.